Welcome to Buccaneers Insider Live presented by Miller Lite, Casey Phillips and Scott Smith here coming to you live during this time of us working from home, but we're so excited we have figured out a way to do this so that we can still take some of your questions. So if you're not already watching on Facebook, make sure you head on over there and in the comment section of the video on Facebook, you can leave your questions. We also love hearing where everybody's watching from. And we know with the draft just happening this last week, there are going to be so many questions and we have so much to talk about, which is great. So as we give people a chance to start submitting some of those questions on Facebook, Scott, I just wanted to hear your overall initial thoughts about the draft as a whole. We'll get into each of the draft picks, I'm sure. But for now, just what you thought of, of the Buccaneers draft class as a whole. Well, I could talk about it as a whole, but I think the most important takeaway is that the Bucs got their man in the first round. I think after we've seen what we've seen, after we've heard you talk afterwards, I don't know if you saw the Peter King piece, he got to actually watch in for a lot of while Jason was uh, Jason Light was conducting his draft and it became clear from all the evidence that priority number one the biggest thing that needed to be accomplished was to get that offensive tackle and particularly Tristan Wirfs and uh, a mission accomplished and, and if Jason Light was at least contemplating trades with every team from about seven on down that's what it sounded like in the Peter King piece then he was at least considering, I don't know if he'd have pulled the trigger or not, but at least considering trading anything up to our second round pick. So it's really, it's, it's awesome that the Buccaneers got there, man, but it's also nice the way it fell out and a trade up to eight, nine, 10 wasn't necessary, or maybe in this case just wasn't possible, but it fell out okay. The Bucs only had to move up one, only had to give up their fourth round pick. I'm sure they would have loved to have kept that fourth round pick, but I think keeping the second and the third was really a win and still getting Tristan Wirth. So uh, to me, that was the biggest takeaway. Okay, uh, yeah, I thought that was really interesting about the the trades that um, some people were speculating that there weren't as many trades happening, you know, because of the virtual side of the draft that they were afraid it was just going to be difficult for teams. But it sounded like that wasn't it for Jason. It sounded like it was just teams were happy with who they thought they were going to get. Yeah, based on the conversations in that piece, uh, he would talk to a guy and then that, that for the GM for another team and the GM would eventually – just decided not to do a trade because they wanted to take the player that was there. You know, the Panthers wanted Derek Brown and the Cardinals were ecstatic when Isaiah Simmons fell into their lap at eight. They didn't really expect that to happen from what their GM has said. And then uh, the Jaguars wanted to take CJ Henderson and so on. So, uh, you know, it could have been, it easily could have been that the Buccaneers didn't get the man they really wanted. Fortunately, it worked out. Right. Right. Nathan had asked uh, why you think they didn't want to trade for Leonard Fournette either, you know, before the draft or, or during that process. I think that probably had a lot to do with the fact that they felt they could meet that need uh, in the draft, which I think they believe they did with Keyshawn Vaughn. Remember, we do already have Ronald Jones, and they have said many, many times that they like Ronald Jones. He broke out to some extent last year, topped 1,000 yards from scrimmage, and they think he can do more. So maybe you don't need a bell cow back, and a lot of there's not a lot of teams in the NFL right now in this day and age who actually just go with one bell cow back. You know, you've got your Christian McCaffrey's and your Saquon Barkley's, Ezekiel Elliott. There's a few, but most of them employ a, a roster of backs. And so maybe you don't need to uh, put assets in cap space. It wasn't huge cap space for Leonard Fournette, but it was some. And folks don't have a lot after the Rob Gronkowski trade in particular. So uh, I just think they felt it was a need they could meet more easily and more effectively and more cost effectively in the draft. And speaking of Keyshawn Vaughn, what were your thoughts on, on him and what he could bring, especially to complement Ronald Jones? And what are the, the skill sets there and how he could be deployed? Well, he's a guy that they think 
can be a pass catcher out of the backfield. He didn't have huge receiving numbers in college. They're going to try him. They're going to see what they can get out of him. That now, um, uh, Bruce Arians did say that Keyshawn Vaughn is not David Johnson. He said the running back we got in the seventh round, Raymond Calais, is more like a very small, much smaller, but souped up version of David Johnson, meaning he's a guy that you can split out wide and run actual receiver routes with. So I'm not sure they see the uh, Keyshawn Vaughn having like 80 catch potential, but I think they are going to find out what he can do in the, in the uh, passing game. And they think he can play on all three downs. So him and Ronald Jones, that should give you what you need in the backfield. Okay. And uh, Yaj, I think is how you say this name, asked, is there a need for more depth on the O-line now that we at least know we got Tristan Wirfs and everything, but just overall the depth of the O-line where that stands? I think there may be some need for interior depth. I think you saw that uh, Tristan Wirfs will probably be – I'm sure he'll have to compete for the right tackle job. But that's obviously who they want to be there on day one is Tristan Wirfs. But you did sign Joe Hegg, who's made a number of starts at both tackle positions. Uh, so he's kind of an ideal swing tackle. So if, and there are a couple guys like Brad Seaton that they like, younger guys that haven't really had much of an opportunity yet. But I think they like as a chance to make it as that eighth or ninth offensive lineman. Uh, but I think they could use some depth on the interior line. And we haven't announced – any of our undrafted free agents yet. They, I'm sure some fans have seen some names. Uh, we can't really talk about them until the Bucks announce it, but there's probably going to be some offensive line candidates in there because they didn't hit it again after the, you know, after the first round in the draft. I thought they might try to take a guard or a center somewhere along the way, but there were just other players they had targeted. Okay, and uh, Rodney asked about our uh, kick return, punt return special teams. So um, I wanted to get your thoughts on if any of these draft picks do you feel like could fill the actual position of the return man and then where they might also fit in terms of just being on the coverage teams, just overall where you, you see our special teams units in that area? Well, yeah, if you're a third day pick, you should expect to be playing special teams and you should be hoping to play special teams because it's your way to make the roster and, and then get some exposure and maybe get a bigger job as time goes on. So like um, Chappelle Russell, as an example, the linebacker in the, uh, in the seventh round, he's a fast guy. He's not a huge guy. Um, he, I wouldn't expect him to unseat Devin White or Levante David, or maybe even usurp Kevin Minter for the main backup spot right away. But that's a guy whose uh, athletic traits profile would be a pretty good uh, special teams player off the, right off the bat. I think there are some, there are a couple of our draftees who could factor into the return game. Uh, TJ Logan will be back too. So, uh, there's going to be some options there. The return game definitely needs to get better. In fact, the Bucks special teams overall need to get better. Uh, that doesn't mean um, that we need necessarily need more additions. Just, you know, when you look at Matt Gay's final field goal percentage, it wasn't where you wanted it to be. But that was mainly just because of a, like a three-game slump right at the end of the season. From 1 to 13, you loved his numbers overall. So I think we have what we need. We just need to get better numbers this year. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Brandon asked, do you think OJ will be on the team week one? At this point, yes. Um, if there was going to be a trade for OJ, I think the more likely time would have been before the draft because you would have liked to have used that as a uh, possibility to move up in the first round and, and you know take away some of the tension of getting the guy you wanted or getting some mid-round picks. Um, you know, I think the Ravens got uh, a second and a fifth for Hurst, who they traded to Atlanta, so we certainly could have done that and really helped ourselves because obviously the Bucks are in win-now mode, uh, so getting that trade done before the draft would have made a lot of sense. Now, I'm not saying it's impossible, and you can look to the future, but um, 
I think at this point, the way they're talking about how they do believe they can use all those tight ends, I think it's more likely that he's on the, on the field, on the team on week one, yeah. Okay. Um, Eddie asked, would we consider signing another quarterback as a backup? He gave Cam Newton as an example, but just overall, what do you see as the quarterback situation? Do we have the guys on the roster we're going to have? What are your thoughts there? Well, we have three guys already on the roster that we know of. Obviously, Tom Brady is your starter, um, and you, you like um, uh, Blaine Gabbard, of course, because he's familiar with the system which is important, and Ryan Griffin for that matter too, which is important in this offseason when you don't know when you're going to get back on the field. You don't know how much work you're going to have before you're playing games. So uh, I think they, they probably value that. And then right after the draft, when asked about the fact that the Bucs didn't draft a developmental quarterback, say on day three, Bruce Arians said they did have their eye on a guy in undrafted free agency who they think has a lot of upside. And again, we haven't announced names yet, but I'm sure fans can see on social media some of the names of potential undrafted free agents that are out there. So once we have our undrafted free agents in the fold, I think you're going to have four quarterbacks. And really that's, to me, adding a fifth guy like a veteran like Newton to that doesn't make a lot of sense. Right. Um, Sean asked, do you have any guesses on how many primetime games we might get when the schedule is released? Oh, a lot. What is the uh, limit? Is it five? It may be, maybe five. Um, it's it's going to be a, a whole new day around here. Uh, even back in the, it would take us back to the Super Bowl era. I think the year after the Super Bowl, we might have had three Monday night games. Wouldn't shock me, you know, especially if you add in a Thursday. We haven't played a Sunday night game in forever, but I'd be willing to bet we get one now. So four, maybe five, I would think. Yeah, that's going to be that's going to be crazy to see. It's going to be a lot of late night flights for us if that's the case. Um, Rich asked, oh, do you see there being any kind of moves they need to make to help the salary cap? Well, probably. Um, but those aren't always uh, guys being cut or traded. Um, you can make roster, I mean, uh, contract restructuring pretty simply and free up some cap space pretty easily. Uh, a lot of times the way you restructure a, a contract to free up cap space as you convert um, some salary into uh, a, a, a signing bonus or just a, a bonus that the player gets right then, which then spreads the cap hit out over the remainder of the contract. So, and the players always like that because it means they're getting money right then that they would have had to wait for. So a, a contract restructuring is pretty easy to do. Um, I don't know exactly which guys would be the top candidates for that, but uh, you know, you do have to devote a certain amount of money. I think it may be about $7 million to get in your draft picks signed. So there may need to be some maneuvering, but I don't think it would be anything drastic. Okay. And Yaj asked, do you see any more moves being made to help with the secondary, or are we good with who we have now? Well, now that we've got Antoine Winfield, um, I think we're probably good. I mean, I wouldn't expect any major moves. You'll probably have some undrafted free agents added to the mix. Maybe a guy that's on the street right now. You usually have a handful of signings between the draft and training camp. Uh, but if you're talking about a name guy, I don't think so. I mean, it may have something to do with if Justin Evans is ready to get, to get back on the field. And I don't know when we're going to know that and when we're going to be back on the field. Uh, you do have basically your three cornerbacks that you think will start in place and some depth behind them and uh, Ryan Smith and MJ Stewart. So it looks to me like the pieces are in place. I wouldn't expect any kind of big name addition. Okay. And uh, we also had a question from Eric who asked, is there any concern with the size of our safety room? I believe all are 5'10 or under. Hmm. Uh, I believe that's true about Jordan Whitehead and, and Antoine Winfield. 
Uh, and Mike Edwards. Mike Edwards, yeah. Well, I don't know about Justin Evans. Uh, but in any case, I don't think they're drafting these guys if they think their height is a concern. Um, yeah, if you can have everything, if you could have everything Antoine Winfield brings to the field and he's also six foot two, then great. But then maybe he's a mid first round pick, right? So, um, you know, some guys just play bigger than they are. I don't think there's a big concern about that. Okay. Uh, Rob asked, which of the new pickups, whether it's from draft or free agency, will have the biggest direct impact week one? Well, the one that's most likely to start is obviously Tristan Wirfs. I know it's an easy answer. Wait, do you mean all the free agents? I, yeah, I think he was including free agency as well. So if you want to give an answer that's draft picks and then a free agency answer, that might be best. Well, uh, I got to go with Tom Brady. I mean, right. I know I'll get dinged for making the obvious choice, but how can you not talk? How can it not be the quarterback? Okay, how, how about your second choice then, since we knew that was just sort of the obvious <laughs> one? Uh, so if re-signings count, um, Maybe in Dominican Sue. I mean, Shaq Barrett was the big priority there, but you know, sacks are kind of a fickle stat and go up and down. But a guy that's constantly eating up double team blocks and creating opportunities for pass rush for other guys, uh, that would be a, a big uh, a guy that's probably making an impact on 75% of the snaps. Um, if we're talking just new guys and we're not talking about Tom Brady, it's probably Tristan Wirfs because he should be starting there and, and offensive linemen play every snap generally, barring injury and uh, he's helping keep the pass rush off Tom Brady. Everything else has that has to happen first before you can utilize all these new weapons that you have. Right. I know I give, I give the quarterback in the first round draft pick as the answer, but it, it may be obvious, but it's also true. So well, I, that's how you want it. I mean, that's it would probably be a problem if, if you didn't feel that way. <laughs> so um, Sebastian, who's watching from Germany, uh, wanted to know if we're sort of in the second wave of free agency now that the draft is over, and if there are any more potential free agents that might be signed now that we know who we've gotten in the draft? I think the second wave of free agency is actually late March and early April. The first wave is just the first couple of days when all the really coveted guys get contracts right away because teams know they have to act right away. But then there's generally some pretty decent signings in the back half of March and the early days of April. I would call this the third wave of free agency. And this is when um, teams get done with the draft and realize, not realize, but know that there was, they may have had six things on their shopping list and they only got five. They didn't know what that's, that one they missed was gonna be before the draft. Now they know. And so some team might need a fourth receiver or another safety for some depth or something like that. So I think we're in the third wave of agency right now. We've already talked a little bit about that. The Bucks have been so aggressive and they really were fortunate to meet what were their obviously biggest needs in free agency, I mean, the draft right down to Tyler Johnson in the fifth round, uh, the third receiver candidate there. So I think at this point for the Buccaneers, the third wave is just about depth. Okay. And Devin asked, do you see Donovan Smith moving to right tackle and Wirfs playing left tackle? I wouldn't think so. Not this year. It could happen down the line. I would suspect Donovan Smith stays at left tackle for um, the remainder of, at least the remainder of this contract, which has a couple more years on it. Um, you know, Tristan Wirfs has demonstrated that he can play right tackle. We already know that. Um, it, again, we have to say this a lot of times when we talk about Donovan Smith. I think fans and, 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 and people that cover the team maybe don't know the extent to which Donovan Smith is valued inside the building. I think that our coaches think he's very good. I think they think he had his best season last year. I don't foresee them making that move because then you basically have – two new guys at two spots rather than one guy, one new guy. 
And I know that it's, it's not as easy to switch sides as everybody makes it seem, which, you know, I know it seems like, oh, they're both tackle positions. You just switch sides. But I've talked to multiple guys that have played tackle, including Donovan and, and other guys, and asked about it. And they're like, yeah, I mean, everything is about muscle memory. And you've trained your body to be doing everything in this one direction. There'd be a learning curve, as weird as it sounds. Yes, it's the same position, but your body doesn't just automatically adjust to, to doing everything as reactionary as it would have on the other side. So I don't think that's quite as easy of, as a switch as people seem to think it is. Um, yeah. Rodney, that was, good. That, was, that was a good explanation of what I was trying to say. Thank you. Yeah. And, and it's funny because I, I also, if people want to Google it, Tristan Wirfs was asked about this and had a very funny answer about what it's like to try to switch sides that uh, it's, it's, a, it's a rather colorful answer that I'll just let people go Google on their own. <laughs> uh, but it is very funny. Uh, Rodney asked, uh, what do you think about Tyler Johnson? Well, I know that they absolutely loved him. Um, you know, he was available in the fifth round for, for two reasons. Uh, one, there was just so much depth in this draft at wide receiver. I think he probably would have been a second or third round pick in a normal draft, uh, in a normal draft class of receivers. Uh, I did a little uh, look at it and did a story on Buccaneers.com about how the receivers fell in that draft. And, and as expected, there was a big run on just blue chip guys in the first round. And then there was the run continued all through the second round. I mean, the, the receivers were just flying off the board. But when you look at it, you, you probably had most of the teams that had receiver, like a guy they need to be one of their top two starters as a need, they were able to meet that in the first and second round. So then there was a lull on receivers. Only, I think, six more went in the third and fourth round combined, which isn't very many at all compared to most years. And my theory is that's because all the teams that really felt like they had to get a number one or two receiver had met that need in the first and second rounds because there were so many available. So then there's a lull. And then the, the fifth round came, and the Buccaneers got the second receiver in that round, and then six more went. There were eight receivers taken in the fifth round. And you could hear the, the analysts on TV going, I mean, about three or four of them just, I can't believe they got this guy in the, in the fifth round, but that's just because what was available that's the most receivers that have ever been taken in, the, in any fifth round since the 1970 merger. So I just think the draft fell right for the Buccaneers to get a guy that they wouldn't have been able to get in normal years if they wanted to get that safety and that running back in the second and third round. And then there are some parts of his testing that don't jump off the page at you. And he didn't get to run at the combine. So, uh, you know, it was probably that because from a production standpoint, from a route running standpoint, uh, from an ability to get to get open, the Bucks loved everything about him. So uh, I think I think the Bucks are absolutely thrilled about this pick. To be honest with you, uh, Marco asked, "What holes do the Bucks need to fill at this time, if any?" I don't think there's a starting job that really needs oh, to be filled. Um, you know, we got the whole front seven back, other than Carl Nassib. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think there's a, a starting hole, so it's just a matter of depth. You could maybe use a little more depth, uh, as we talked about earlier, on the interior line. Um, I don't know, Casey. I don't, I don't think there's a lot of holes on this, on this depth chart. Which is I mean, it's a really great point. I mean, that's, that's what you, you want to hear. It's an optimistic way to put it. You're, you're hoping that everything you did works out. And probably if you get 90% of your moves to work out, you're in great shape. But right now, it's hard to look at the depth chart on paper and see if they can. Um, 
which is that's what Bucks fans want to hear, I'm sure. Well, that's going to do it for us on this edition of Buccaneers Insider Live presented by Miller Lite. Thanks to all of you for joining us. We'll see you back here next week.